one of the reasons I do what I do is because of the messages I get from people just like you that say, I've taken the ideas, Alan, I've built a business, I've done it. And one of those messages came in this week from Keith Hunt. It said, hi, Alan Donegan. I've loved all of your interviews on the show and others. I've adopted many of your suggestions, like starting before you're ready, keeping initial investment low, bootstrapping as much as possible at the beginning. I've been building up a food tent for the last two years. A couple of months back, I found a fully furnished vacant restaurant space and worked with the owner to do a few pop-up weekend events to test the waters. We had an incredible response from the community. Once our state was ordered to stay at home and only essential businesses were allowed to stay open, I saw an opportunity and decided to open six days a week for dinner hours with some new flexibility from working from home. I was even able to negotiate a month-to-month lease with the owner so I can pull out any time if it's not working out. I just found out I'm getting furloughed for two weeks. Instead of being worried, I'm extremely excited because now I can open for lunch hours as well. Hard to believe I'm operating a restaurant and have zero business debt. Thank you for the inspiration. I'm looking forward to this live event. And when you get a message like that, you say, Keith, come on the podcast. And that's what I did. So let's find out how Keith did it. How did he go from having an idea about a food business to a restaurant space? What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur. And one of the things that gets me going the most, and actually the reason why I get out of bed and do this podcast, run the courses, is when I get messages from people that tell me they've taken one of the ideas and they've done something with it. So Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Alan. Great to be on here. I appreciate it. Do you have a love of food? Is this something you're excited about? Or did you just go, I need a restaurant? So it's kind of funny. I grew up loving to cook. I, as far back as probably 10 years old, I remember making food at home. My family had to eat a lot of terrible food as I was uh, learning how to cook. <laughs> Over the years, though, they've, they've come to enjoy my food. And for much of my teenage years, I actually wanted to be a chef. And um, I always did well in school was, uh, you know, science, math, everything. And certain people in the family were saying, hey, that's great. You like to cook. You want to be a chef. But is that really something you can make a career out of? You know, maybe you should pursue something that's going to be a more stable job, something like, you know, engineering. So I actually did end up going into engineering. That's a whole <laughs> whole nother story. I, I am a very creative person. And my Probably my true passion is designing and coming up with new ideas and new products. And so who knows, someday maybe I'll mix the cooking with that and come out with my own line of kitchen product. So yeah, I ended up in engineering and there was always still that kind of hole deep down tugging at me, telling me that I should get some involvement in cooking. And so that's kind of how it all started. (laughs) So you wanted to get into cooking. Was it the idea of a restaurant or was it just, I need to get into cooking? So, you know, I actually remember when I was probably about 12 years old, I made a, I used to keep a list, a written list of just any idea I had, things I wanted to invent. I wanted to be an inventor at one point. And one of those ideas I specifically remember was opening a chain of restaurants. 
I think I wanted to open some really unique ones where it was more like an experience, not just going and eating the food. And I want to go back and try to find that. I think I still have that list somewhere packed away. But I definitely did want to be a chef. That was my career goal. Whether I ended up opening a restaurant or not, that was kind of not my the top of my priority, but it was something I definitely considered. So you're in the engineering job. You're doing engineering. Did you start to do this as a side hustle? Were you just experimenting doing it for friends? Like, how does so that? that? That's the really funny part because it was not on the radar at all. I I'm kind of a serial side hustler. I was trying a bunch of different options. So part of it was definitely that. But it all happened actually one day at work. I was talking to a coworker and he knew that I liked to cook and you know I just occasionally show him pictures of food that I'd made at home. And I showed him these pictures of some, what we call in Arizona, where I'm originally from, Navajo tacos or Indian fry bread tacos, which have like a Native American roots. And so instead of like a tortilla or a taco shell, it's actually like a soft fry bread. You know, you make like a dough, you roll it out thin, and then you deep fry it. So um, I should, yeah, it's it's delicious. So I showed him a picture. uh, He said, what's that? I said, it's a fry bread taco. He said, no, like, what is that? I have no idea what that is. (laughs) And I, I said, oh, it must just be you, you know? So I asked another coworker, hey, you know what a fry bread taco is, right? Or Navajo taco, Indian fry bread? No, no, no. I asked pretty much the whole office. Nobody knew what a fry bread taco was. To backtrack a little bit, I had recently relocated from Arizona, the Southwest, where that type of food is very common, to the Midwest, where it's not so common here in Ohio. And so I soon found out that it was very unknown in this region. They were, of course, familiar with just Mexican food in general, but this specific niche of the fry bread taco was relatively unheard of. So it kind of a light bulb went off and I said, I made it my personal mission, as I say, to bring a piece of the Southwest to the Midwest. So that was literally the moment it all started. So how do you go from no one around here knows about these Navajo Indian tacos? No one knows about them. How do you go from there to building a business? Because I found out it's one thing to have an idea, but it's another thing to launch. (laughs) Yeah. What happened next? So basically, I knew I didn't have any money. So I was... was, You're uh, an engineer. Surely you're earning a fortune. Well, unfortunately, I had, uh, although I tried to adhere to, you know, sound financial principles, like from Dave Ramsey, I was a big Dave Ramsey follower. And I tried to stay out of debt, but I um, actually had our third child as I was graduating from college. So I basically was working upwards of 50 hours for at least part of my schooling. It took me six years to get my bachelor's degree and uh, working on third shift in a factory for one year, just trying to keep the family going. So yeah, I was, I had some debt. And so yeah, I knew I didn't have any capital. And so my first thought was, well, what if I just do a tent? I figured that was, you know, you've got the restaurant, then you've got the food truck is another slightly cheaper option. And then the tent is about <laughs> as cheap as it gets. So at the beginning, I definitely tried to go as low cost as possible. I did some research, but it was one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. So I did know at least I needed something to keep food hot. I needed something to keep food cold and I needed the tent, you know, and so I just started scouring the web. I found some um, auction websites. There, apparently, there's a lot of restaurants that go out of business all the time. Yes, so, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a very high failure rate in restaurants. Yes. So there's a lot of auction sites. And I was actually able to find a couple pieces of equipment that I thought were going to work. Uh, you know, I only paid a few hundred dollars here and there for a 
little two stove burner that I said, oh, well, I could at least heat some oil on a pot on this. And then I found a little uh, commercial refrigerator for, I think, $150 online. They're normally about $1,200 new. And so I just kind of went along picking up pieces here and there. And I didn't really have a time frame for when I was going to get it off the ground. So at that point, it was still kind of a pipe dream. And I will say this is where I went off the rails a little bit from the, my <laughs> frugal roots. So um, I met a coworker who I kind of told him what I was doing. And some people would just say, oh, that's great. Good for you. You know, but he uh, was seemed real interested. It was like, hey, that, that's really cool what you're doing. You know, I'd like to talk about it with you sometime. If you want to like some help getting off the ground, I might be interested. And so basically he had interest in kind of starting a business just to learn how to start a business because he had some ideas of his own. And he kind of wanted to be involved in the initial process so that he could just go through the steps. So he didn't really have interest in the food itself or the business itself. And so he said, you know, what if I put up a little bit of capital? And basically, I think our arrangement was I was going to pay him out of like, you know, basically the proceeds. So long story short on that, that's when I started spending a little bit more money. And I said, well, why don't we get this used item over here? Well, we might as well do it, right? Let's get this new one over here. It's only a couple hundred dollars more. And, you know, before we knew it, we'd spent a few thousand dollars and we had big dreams. We said, oh, if we do, you know, 10 festivals this year, you know, if we can just capture this percentage of the festival goers and and making this margin, you know, we'll be able to pay this back tenfold. You know, we we were thinking really big. And that first year comes around. I will say, thanks to him, I was able to actually get going, get off the ground. Who knows, you know, how many more years it would have been on my own. And we put in some applications for some festivals. I'd heard it was very difficult to sneak your way in because some of these people have been going year after year after year after year. And uh, lo and behold, I put in two applications and they both responded. I think the festivals were less than two months away. They said, yep, we want to have you. You look like you have a unique menu. And of course, I was excited through the roof. And after that first event, would you guess it? We were totally in the red. (laughs) 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 Didn't make any money. Worked 16 hour days. So I was still excited, of course, but there was definitely a little bit of discouragement. Uh, I knew that it was was a long road, but of course, it's nice to have some successes up front. But that's kind of how I went from the idea to getting off the ground. What did you learn from that first festival? Because what we've realized is every, quote, failure is really Mm -hmm. a learning experience if you keep going. So what did you take away from it? So definitely, definitely. Looking back now, turns out I could have bootstrapped much, much more. I thought I was, you know, pinching pennies a lot. Turns out there's actually a special type of license by the health department that's for temporary events. They call it like a temporary food vendor license. And it's one step below the food trucks. They have like a mobile food vendor license that's good for the whole year. And they basically have to have all commercial kitchen equipment. And so I kind of thought that I also had to have the nice equipment. And uh, turns out for with the mobile vendor license, that's similar to people who are just having a church barbecue, you know, and everyone's just bringing their little deep fryer, counter deep fryer no refrigerator needed. You can take a ice chest cooler and keep your food cold in there. So looking back, I honestly, other than the entrance fee to the festival and the food cost and maybe a tent, just about everything else, I probably could have just taken what I had at home. 
So looking back now, that's something I would have changed. I remember the health inspector when he first showed up, I had no idea what to expect. And he goes, you're doing the temporary license? I said, yeah. He goes, wow, you've got a nice setup here. This is some good equipment. <laughs> you should really think about getting the uh, mobile vendor license, you know, and go all in. So that's when I realized, oh, shoot, maybe I went a little overboard <laughs> on the uh, the equipment. So there was that. And then I would say I definitely kind of got a feel for what customers liked. That was my first time having my menu tasted by the masses. So we got some immediate feedback on our menu. It seemed hard to get people to try it for the first time because most people go to the fair. They want a corn dog. They want some uh, funnel cake or they want to go to the same place they've been going for 10 years. So it was hard bringing them in. But once they tried it, they said, wow, this is delicious. This is unique. So that definitely gave us some confidence, even if the numbers didn't show it. So you'd already agreed to the second one. Would you have exactly. done the second festival if you hadn't already agreed to it? Well, at that point, we were just trying to build up our schedule as much as possible. So that's a good question. Honestly, I kind of knew it. It wasn't going to be, you know, immediate success. And so, as they say, fail soon, fail often. So for me, I did see it as just another chance to give another try to learn some lessons from that first one. And they were actually back to back one week and then the following week. So we didn't wow. have much time to prep, but I definitely did try to implement some changes for the next one, um, especially. I mean, I'd never actually worked in a commercial kitchen, even though I wanted to be a chef. I love cooking at home, but of course, it's much different. And so we tried making some changes to the processes, which even with the restaurant now, we're still trying to do. So you did the second one. Did you get back into the black by the second one or was it? So I will say that entire first season, we were basically in the hole. And so I knew, okay, this doesn't seem to be working. However, I knew that some of the best knowledge I could get, some of the best advice I could get was from the other food vendors at the festival. And I thought it would be a cutthroat game where they're, oh, who's this new guy? Get him out of here. And turns out they're actually a very tight-knit community. They love helping new people. I was just overwhelmed. I think just about every vendor at that first festival came and introduced themselves, said, hey, if you've got any questions, oh, do you need to borrow my extension cord? Oh, looks like your tent's blowing away here. I've got an extra sandbag. And so I just asked them, all these old timers, I, I would just politely ask them, you know, what advice would you give for a new guy? What would you do about this situation? And how'd you get started? How'd you grow your business? And they basically, the vibe I got was that you can't really expect to make money at these festivals until you've been returning three or four years. And I heard that from multiple people. So it was basically became apparent that that was going to be it if I wanted to stick in the business. And so I remember thinking, I don't know if I can go four years without profit. And so I was decided to try some different venues. So I went from doing some festivals. I tried a farmer's market and, you know, it was much fewer people. Instead of 10 or 15,000 people, there was only maybe 500 to 1,000 per week. The difference was there was only two food vendors where at the festivals there were 20, 30, 40. And so for that one, it was kind of funny. Actually, I said, okay, I got to cut out as much cost as possible. Okay, I can't rent a trailer because that costs $150 every time. I don't want to basically rent anything. So I've got my little micro van, which it wasn't even a minivan. I called it the micro van. It was like an extended hatchback. And I said, I'm going to whatever I can fit in here. That's what I'm taking. I'm not going to hire any employees. I'm just going to do this all myself. And so I did that for, I think it was about half of a season, or it was one month. 
one month at a farmer's market that just two miles up the road from my house. And uh, what do you know, after all my expenses, each time I was at least slightly, ever so slightly in the black. And so I said, well, maybe that's what I got to do. And experimenting, I said, you know, I heard the big leagues is the uh, county fairs. They've got a week-long event. They've got tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people going. So I said, maybe I should give that a shot. And once again, I heard that it's very difficult to get in because you've got these long timers that have been had their spot for years. So I sent out probably 10 or 20 emails to all these different counties in Ohio. And many never responded back. Some responded saying they were full. Some said they'd get back to me. And what do you know, this was actually the second season, the second year that we were trying it out. I got a response from one county and I only applied to ones where it would fit with my schedule. You know, there are certain days and things I couldn't work. And sure enough, this county responds. They say, hey, we saw you were interested in uh, joining our county fair as a vendor. It's in about two weeks. Are you interested? We had someone drop out. And I was beyond excited. I said, this is my chance. It just so happened to coincide with a week-long shutdown period at work that we get every year over a 4th of July period. What are the chances? What are the chances of that? Exactly. So I went to my wife. I said, hey, work six days. You know that week I was supposed to have off to enjoy with the family? How do you feel about me working 14 hours, 16 hours a day for six days, you know? (laughs) And she very graciously supported me in that. So yeah, I gave it my all. I I thought, this is it. This is the big leagues. I'm going to make it. And I ran the numbers at the end of the week. Like I said, I would get up early in the morning. It was an hour drive. I'd probably get up 6 or 7 a.m., get there 8 or 10, do a little bit of quick shopping trip before to get some supplies, and then go till 10 p.m. at the close of the festival, clean up, drive home, and I'd get home, you know, at midnight. And I did that for six days. On that last Saturday, I didn't get home till 3 or 4 in the morning. I basically cleaned it all up by myself, packed it into my Honda Odyssey, and I ran the numbers at the end of the week. And after however many hours that added up to be, I saw I was about $200 in the negative still. And that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. I started rethinking, saying, do I need to give up on this dream? You know, (laughs) Because it felt good to work hard. It felt good to see customers liking the product. It felt good being my own boss. But at some point, you know, you got to reevaluate and say, what's going on here? And so that was kind of my slap in the face moment where I was like, I got to do something different. Yeah, because I think most people at that point, they would give up. They would quit. What kept you going? I think at that point, it was kind of one of those things where I was so invested in it. You know, I thought, well, I put this much time and effort into it. And I felt like I had a good idea. I felt like I'd gotten the feedback from the customers. And I just, I don't know, I just kept getting the feeling that it's just a venue change, you know, that I need. I felt like all the right elements were there, just needed a few tweaks and mostly the venue. And so that's when I kind of started thinking, hey, my customers actually would ask me, hey, this is great. Where can I find your restaurant? I had probably five or 10 people ask me that at these events. And I remember telling them like, well, I don't have one yet, but you know, maybe down the road. So I started telling my wife, hey, I really think the only way I'm going to make this work is if I have a permanent location where I can get repeat customers without having to wait 52 weeks for the next (laughs) festival for them to come back. And so we had actually just recently relocated from the suburbs of Columbus to the rural part of uh, central Ohio. Literally, 
our nearest town is only 1,500 people, and we're surrounded by cornfields. Wow. Yeah, another one of those ideas where my wife graciously tagged along with one of my crazy ideas. I was trying to reduce our housing expenses and kind of backfired. But the good news is in the little town here, a few miles from our home, there was a little vacant restaurant space. And like I said, the town's only got 1,500 people. But I said, hey, you got to start somewhere. So I saw the sign on the door. I called the guy. He said, well, I got a couple other people looking at it, but you know, we can talk. So I went in and talked and turns out it's been a diner for, I think, 30, 40 years, something like that. And always under the same name, I think, or mostly under the same name, still got the sign out in the front and different <laughs> owners. And I said, well, I've got these fry bread tacos I want to make. You know, he said, well, I don't know if that'll do well around here. You know, this has always been either like a diner or a sandwich shop. Lunch is kind of our biggest time. And I said, well, I, I can't do lunch because I work full time and I've already got my menu. It's tacos. So we were kind of Button heads a bit on that. And I said, well, you know, I've kind of got this other concept and I think I just kind of want to give it a shot. Turns out he was in talks with some other people that he knew personally and felt a little more comfortable with their agreement. And so he said, sorry, it's not going to work out. And so once again, I was a little crushed at that. And I started thinking, you know, I live out in the middle of nowhere. The zoning laws are pretty uh, unrestricted. Maybe I could just set up my tent in my front yard. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> then I'm at least I'm not paying rent to anybody, right? And there goes a big expense. So I contacted the the township that had the jurisdiction of my area for the zoning laws, and I was expecting a straight up no. And he said, "Yeah, fill out this application. You would have to, uh, we'd have to change the zoning from this to that, and we'll have this hearing." And it was all this complicated paperwork. And I said, "You know, it's worth a shot." So I filled it all out. They set up a hearing. They didn't ask me what time I would be available. They said it and said, <laughs> this is when it is. Turns out I had already committed to actually volunteering uh, with my church to go to the uh, Boy Scout camp that week. And I thought, well, I've already given them all the information they need. I've given them the paperwork. And I said, can I send a representative? Oh, yeah, that's fine. So I sent my wife, who does not like She sounds like speaking. your biggest supporter. She, she is. Yeah, she doesn't want to touch the food. She doesn't want to go to the festivals. She'd rather stay home and watch the kids, but she's got my back. So she went and tried her best, you know, to answer their questions. In the end, I think it was a five-person panel, and I lost two to three. They said, sorry, you're right on the route to the school. We don't want, you know, traffic impeding the school buses and things. And, you know, I thought it was a bit unfair because I was only planning on operating on the weekends when I wasn't at work. And once again, I, you know, I was pretty crushed. So I kept looking around, kept looking around. I found a couple other places at potential options. One was a town about 15 minutes from here with a little bit larger population, I think about 10 or 12,000. The guy wanted uh, five grand up front as a deposit because he had gotten kind of screwed by some tenants in the past and he, he was actually trying to sell it. He said, I've got the air conditioning systems not working. It's going to cost me this much. So I don't want to fix it and have you run out on me and me be stuck with this bill. So he's like, I'm going to need five grand up front. And I told my wife, we got to do this. This is my opportunity that there's 20,000 people drive by this route every day, fully equipped. You know, this is my chance. And luckily, she talked some sense into me. She said, hey, we were relying on our tax return money. She says, do we really want to use our entire tax return on this? We've got these other debts we've got to pay off and such. And so she talked me down. 
And luckily I listened to her because sometimes I don't. And, uh, you know, once again, I was kind of like, well, you're killing my dream. You know, I, this was my last shot. And then what do you know, that same restaurant space in our little town of 1500 people, I see the close sign every day as I go to and from work and suddenly they don't appear to be open anymore. So I send the guy a text. I say, Hey, it's been about two weeks, you know, that this has been closed. Is this just temporary shutdown or is this available again? And he just responds again, it's available. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all he said. That's all he said. It's available. And I I about shot through the roof. I said, all right, this is definitely my shot. So we worked it out. I said, hey, I don't want to sign a year lease. I don't want to sign a, you know, long-term anything. I just want to give this a shot. Would you be willing to just let me open up a couple weekends, see how it goes? If it goes well, maybe I'd consider longer terms. If it crashes and burns, then no harm, no foul. You know, you still get paid for whatever agreement we had. And I think just due to the, it was the right place, right time. And I guess patience paid off. He said, sure, let's give it a shot. So what gave you the inspiration to go for those terms where you didn't commit? Because so many people commit to a year long lease and they commit to these big terms. How did you get there? Well, I'll be honest. I, I listen to a lot of business podcasts, a lot of financial podcasts, and I know some of it had to do with listening to yours. There's several other side hustle podcasts I listen to. And basically, all of that coming together just had been ingrained in my head that, hey, this is how people fail when they go all in. So that was always in the back of my mind. I knew that restaurants had a high failure rate. So yeah, it was, I was just doing all I could. And I don't know what I would have done if he said no. I guess I'd still be looking for <laughs> another opportunity. <so. laughs> well, that's the thing. If you keep asking, eventually someone's going to say yes. And I think what you've demonstrated is the persistence to the goal. You've kept working, you've kept dreaming, you've kept looking, which I think is phenomenal. You got this place and you opened up for a couple of weekends to see what it was like. What was that yep. like? Well, so I'd only ever operated out of the tent. So coming into an actual commercial kitchen, I remember it was very exciting at the beginning. I said, wow, you know, I, I'm not a chef. I have no formal training in this type of thing. I didn't even know how to turn on, you know, the pilot light. <laughs> and I thought, man, uh, maybe he shouldn't trust me in here with all of this equipment. So yeah, there was the excitement, of course, from that. And I will say at the time, I created a Facebook page back when I first started. I had 117 likes on my page in the middle of February. So I put together an event invite on Facebook. I did try, I said, you know what, I'll try a little bit of Facebook advertising. I'm, I'm going to do $25. That's all I'm going to do. If it helps, great. If not, oh well. And I put in a little thing in the invite saying, you know, if you share this pose, you can win what we call the step daddy taco, which is actually a pizza sized taco about that big. And so that I created that kind of more as a novelty thing. Didn't think a lot of people would be buying it. Turns out we sell several of those a night now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said free step daddy taco to, you know, a random customer who shares this post. And it actually got shared quite a few times. I got a bump in my Facebook likes. I think um, that first weekend or week that I posted it, there was one day I got over 100 new likes in one day. Wow. Yeah. You know, I could see the momentum building. And I, that first, I can't remember if it was the first or the second event, or actually, yeah, let's say the first event, it wasn't well advertised for the Friday. And we only had maybe five or so customers. I said, well, you know, well, I didn't get the much, but at least something, right? People showed up. 
And then one of the workers I had working for me, he said, hey, my dad's in these local Facebook groups. You know, why don't you have him share your event invite on these groups? So we did that Friday night. And then a Saturday came around. I think we did 20 or 30 sales, something like that. And so that felt really good. You know, we got some momentum. And in the back of my head, I knew I wanted to do another event. I wasn't sure how soon and I wasn't sure how workable the landlord would be if I could just keep doing these random pop-up events here and there, or if eventually he'd say, hey, look, you know, we got to commit to something. And so at that second event, people started sharing the post themselves. I don't think I even had to do, I think I might have experimented with one more Facebook ad. But turns out we got actually 109 orders, one of those pop-up events, I think 20 or 30 on Friday and 75 on Saturday. And that's actually to date still our best weekend ever, even more than what we're doing now. And so I remember, <laughs> uh, sorry, get, just thinking about it does get me a little emotional because like, like I said, I was uh, not, you know, not seeing any success. And I remember I got home and I told my wife, I said, Hey, how much do you think I grossed this weekend? She said, I don't know. You know, I think she guessed some lowball number. I said, yeah, we grossed $2,500. And she said, what? No way. There's no way. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, I grossed $2,500. And, you know, I ran the numbers just, um, as Jonathan says, back to the envelope math and subtracted my food costs, subtracted my, the payment I made the guy for the, the space, paying my workers, everything. And, you know, we came out in the black and I remember just that feeling of euphoria. I messaged my family, told them they were all asking how my event went. I said, you know, maybe this is what success in this business looks like. So yeah, that's when I put my sights on something bigger. Maybe I could actually make this work as a restaurant and, you know, make at least a side income, if not a living out of it. I love that. And what's the restaurant called? So, yep, same name, the uh, Redheaded Step Taco. It sounds incredible. I want to fly out and try one of those tacos right now. Well, since you asked about the name, I got to give you a background on that real quick. So as you can see, I've got red hair myself and redheads were a proud bunch. Usually as kids, we kind of get bullied. We're usually nerdy, but we come out of it and usually being pretty proud of our identity. And so I'd heard that brands, you know, should represent you. They should be a good representation of your values and your personality, you know. And so it just popped in my head one day, redheaded step taco. And it comes obviously from the term redheaded stepchild, which for those who aren't familiar, before DNA testing, you know, if someone was born in a family with red hair and all the other siblings were not, they just kind of assumed they must have been the mailman's son or whatever, <laughs> you know. And so I basically use that to say that our tacos are not your typical tacos, not your mom's tacos. They come from the other guy. They don't fit in. But at the same time, they're unique. They're proud to be what they are, even if they don't fall under the, the typical definition of what a taco is. So. Keith, what an incredible journey from the idea, testing it, the persistence, and now having your own space that you're operating in. What an incredible journey. If you had oh, thank you. a message for people that were thinking about launching a business, they've got an idea, what would you tell them? I would say, first of all, don't give up. But I've also heard you say, you know, just because you think you have a good idea, don't run with it longer than you need to. If you realize you need to pivot or come up with a new idea, you know, or whatever, that's fine. But if you see it as working and you see there's opportunity to make changes to make it work, be persistent, 
don't invest a bunch of money. Talk to people who have experience in your space. Say, hey, what does it really take to get started in this business? Maybe you will talk to someone who says you need a million dollars, but keep talking to more people. Find someone who did bootstrap it and see what they did or what they would recommend. Facebook groups I've found to be very helpful. There's one for just about every niche business you can think of. Now I'm part of a restaurant owner's Facebook group. And there's uh, about 7,000 members, I think. And there's small timers like myself, big timers in there talking about how they're disappointed that their sales went down to several thousand a day, you know. And so, yeah, definitely in this age, I would say Facebook groups is one of the greatest resources, I think, on the planet for getting real solid information from other people in your space. So, yeah, those are just a few pieces of advice I would give to someone starting out. I love that. So, Keith. Where are you going next with this? What are your plans for the future? Well, so backing up a little bit, after I did those three pop-up weekends, which it's funny, I actually called them pop-up events. And I think I got that from listening to you. You know, (laughs) it was a pop-up restaurant. So after that, I said, okay, I got to make a decision. Am I going to actually do something with this, you know, going forward? Because like I said, I didn't know if the landlord, how long he'd be willing to work with me. And then as we know, the world started ending. and You mean the coronavirus, nothing else. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, restaurants started closing down and then our governor made an announcement that restaurants would only be available for takeout or delivery. And then at work, I was told we'd be going to remote work. And I said, you know what, maybe this is an opportunity here. Maybe I'll have a little more flexibility. I don't have a commute now. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. So I went in. I said, hey, I'd like to sign up for a month to month lease. Is that something you'd be willing to do? I said, I once again, I can't lock myself into a, a year long lease. I know commercial leases are usually upwards of one, two, three years. And, you know, I can give you like a 30 day notice if I if it's not working out. And due to the circumstances of the world at the time and the fact that we're in a town of 1,500 people with probably not a lot of demand, he graciously agreed. And so right now we're on a a month-to-month lease. And once I went home to work remotely, it kind of gave me some more flexibility in my schedule. And I would get up at 6, 7 a.m., work my eight hours or almost eight hours at my day job. And I told him, hey, I've got to leave every day at 3.30 you know, because we were doing dinner hours only. I said, if you need me later than that, please try to give me like a week's notice. If possible, I can work later. I can hire some people that can run the kitchen or whatever I got to do. And, you know, there were a couple of days where, hey, we really need you to stick around. And so I luckily was able to find some people that could manage the kitchen a, a little bit. But there were a few days where it was tough trying to juggle both. I'd get home from the restaurant and I still had committed to finishing something. And I think three nights that first few weeks, I stayed up till two or three in the morning to finish stuff for the day job. Wow. So yeah, I didn't want them to be able to come back and say, hey, I think this is pulling you away from your work. I I don't think you should, because I was up front with them. They know that I was doing it on the side and they actually put out the word to try to get people there at some of my events and things. So my manager was very supportive, but you know, if I started dropping the ball at work, of course, I knew that there could be ramifications to that. So did the best I could. But now, like I told you in my message, um, I've been furloughed for two weeks. And now I've got all kinds of time (laughs) to dedicate to the restaurant. So So you're now running lunch sessions as well? We are making plans to this first week, I think I'm going to just kind of take a little rest because I've been 
going full throttle for a couple of weeks, few weeks, I guess. But probably starting next week, I'll add a couple of days just to see how it goes. But to get back to your question about where it goes from here, it is a great question because it's not exactly sustainable, to, you know, getting up at 6, 7 and working till 10 p.m. at night with the family and everything. My wife's actually eight and a half months pregnant with baby number seven. <laughs> baby number seven. Wow. Yeah. So you're an entrepreneur, a full-time employee, and you've got seven kids and a wife. Exactly. At least for now, I got the Bible <laughs> with me after this. <laughs> yeah. There is a question there. How do you juggle all this? And you've got customers, you've got a manager and a boss, and then you've got another one at home. Yeah. Uh, and you've got seven kids. How do you, how have you managed this? Do you not sleep? Are you on caffeine tablets? What is going on, Keith? <laughs> yeah, ironically, I don't drink any caffeine, but um, the kids definitely keep me young. They keep me running around. But I would say um, not just in the past month when I've been juggling this, but with all my uh, side hustle pursuits, what I found is you can't get fixated on perfection. If there's a choice between getting it done or getting it done 100%, then I choose getting it done. And so... Yes. You know, I definitely could be a better dad. I could be a better employee. I could be a better entrepreneur. But there's only so much time in a day. And you basically got to just get over that perfection complex and just do your best that you can with the time that you have. So, yeah, I would say I try to maximize my time with my kids when I'm there. You know, I get home at actually past what should be their bedtime. But we've been a little lenient on that with them being home from school. And so, you know, I'll play with them for a little bit. We'll watch a show. I try to read them some bedtime stories or whatever it may be. But the other thing is I try to remember it's not uh, going to be a long-term proposition, hopefully, <laughs> you know, trying to do all of this at once. I think it was Dave Ramsey who also said, you know, you can do anything uncomfortable for about six months at least. He tells that to people who are trying to get out of debt. And he says, you know, get a second job, a third job, whatever. And so, I try to tell that to myself as well. Hey, I'm I'm not going to be doing this schedule forever. I'm just putting in the time now, investing in it, and hopefully that will see some dividends later. I'm so impressed by what you've managed to do. I, I'm so impressed, Keith. Just genuinely <laughs> so impressed. And I think there's so many different tips and ways to think in what you've said. I think one I'd love to draw out for the audience is how you kept trying different things. So you tried festivals, decided that wasn't right. Then you had the county fairs, decided mm -hmm. that wasn't right. Then you tried to do it in the front garden, which I love that. That's <laughs> absolutely awesome. It's a shame you couldn't get off the ground with yes. that because you never know what happened. Exactly. Um, then you went for spaces and you tried to find a restaurant and did the weekends. And I think what I would love the audience to take away from that is it's the continual flexibility. You had a dream to make food and to serve your tacos and to get customers who love the food, but you kept trying different avenues and kept moving. And I think that's the thing. People get so fixated on one vision of I must have the perfect restaurant that they never get there and they forget to take those starting steps. And actually, you took those starting steps for, for some years in different ways. Yeah, that just sparked a thought. I guess you got to ask yourself, what exactly is it that I enjoy about it? Is it the location? Is it the venue? Or is it the food? Is it the people? So I can have all of the good things that I enjoy about the business, whether it's at one venue or another. So if people happen to be in, in Ohio 
and driving through the center of it past the cornfields. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, how do they find out about your restaurant? Because I am definitely tempted to drop in. I've never actually been through Ohio, but I have now got a reason. Definitely. We'll take you. Yeah. Although we are in the cornfields, ironically, we're only about 30 minutes outside the edge of Columbus. It was kind of funny that you mentioned that. So as my Facebook page started growing, just to give you an idea, I went, like I said, from 117 likes, I just passed up 900 likes this past week. And now I don't pay for Facebook advertising because when I do a post of one of my tacos, it gets shared sometimes 20 or 30 times. And my biggest post was seen, I think, had a reach of over 11,000 people. That's more than live in your town. Exactly. So the funny part is someone that saw it posted it in a uh, like a lot of these Facebook groups have been popping up saying support local restaurants. And someone shared it in the Columbus page, which, you know, is the nearest major city. And I saw these comments of people. Oh, that looks delicious. I was about to get in the car and drive over before I realized it was 45 minutes away. You know, <laughs> And then there was a, another group where it was posted and same thing. Oh, that's 30 minutes away. And then I had my customers hopping on saying, it's worth the drive. Get in your car. <laughs> get you in the car now. <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question, though, our Facebook page is our main way to contact us or look us up. If you just go to facebook.com slash redheaded step taco all one word, no hyphen. You can find us. Going back to the bootstrapping, I'm in the middle of trying to get a website. If you go to redheadedsteptaco.com, you will find our logo covering the whole page. And then if you click on menu, you have to scroll down halfway and you'll see uh, our weekday menu. And if you click on any of the other links, they go to nothing. So that's that's, (laughs) still uh, building it. Yes. And then I do have my shirt available for those who aren't in Ohio. I actually did post my official redheaded step taco shirt, which my sister-in-law is my graphic designer. She did an incredible job. People love our logo. And so, yeah, if you go to Amazon and type in redheaded step taco, you'll find our our one merch item on there. So I love that. And I think there's a really important point here because you have the restaurant and customers before you have the website. And that yeah. <laughs> that makes my heart sing. Because so many people, they want the website perfect. They want everything perfect before they get the first customer. But you've done it the other way around. And that's why you've started. And I just think that's brilliant. Well, thank you. Yeah, going back to the starting, you know, without perfection. Basically, there's parts of the business that I do not enjoy. You know, taxes, accounting, bookkeeping, all the paperwork, things like that. And if I had gotten bogged down and, oh, well, am I paying the right tax rate? Am I complying with this and that. If I had tried to do all that from the beginning, you know, I probably never would have started. And just now recently, I've got my dad involved who actually was a bookkeeper slash office person, HR person for most of his career. And he's nearing retirement, but he said, yeah, I'll help you out with the bookkeeping, you know. And so I got my QuickBooks just set up after two years. I just set up my (laughs) QuickBooks Last week, I had a business bank account, which I wasn't really using. I finally said, okay, from now on, I'm only pulling out of that. The problem was I never had enough money to uh, front some for the business. It was always like mixed in with the personal. And so I finally had a little buffer and we said, okay, I said, okay, we're only pulling out of this account. And now all of my deposits from the sales, those all go into the business. So I'm just now starting to kind of get a little more organized and I'm still hoping to have a other people that enjoy that and know more about it take care of that portion <laughs> for me. So. Well, it's a team. 
definitely a team game. Entrepreneurship is about working with people that enjoy the different elements because you're never going to love every part of the business. You're never exactly. going to love sales, marketing, accounting, spreadsheets, cooking. You're never mm-hmm. going to love every part. So it's definitely a team game. Yeah, I've heard it said, you know, let other people do the parts of the business that you don't like doing because there's someone out there that actually does enjoy it. You do the parts that only you can do and the parts that you enjoy. So, you know, I didn't get into this business to count up all of my receipts and everything. You know, I got in because I like people. I like making food. I like seeing their reaction when they try the food. And so that's what I would like to focus on more. I think that's a great Great idea. Absolutely. Cool. Keith, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your energy. If I come through Ohio, I am coming to your place for tacos. Definitely. I want to try those. We'll be waiting for you. Yeah. Like, let us know how it goes. I genuinely want to know how it goes. Will you keep me up to date as you? Definitely. Awesome. Thanks, Keith, for coming on the show. Go to Facebook, put in Red Headed Step Tacos, and you will find Keith's business. Yep. (laughs) sounds good thanks alan what an incredible story keith has for his business red step taco and i am just so impressed by what he has achieved a couple of takeaways i'd love you to take from this number one he bootstrapped he did it by borrowing equipment by finding cheap spaces by doing it in a tent he stayed flexible he bootstrapped and he just got on and started number two is the persistence wow The persistence is unbelievable. When it didn't go well at the festivals, he tried the next thing. When it didn't go well at the county fairs, he tried the next thing. When it didn't go well at the next place, he tried the next thing and he just kept going. And one of the keys to success is knowing where you are heading. I have this vision, but I'm going to keep trying different ways until I get there. And that so impressed me. Keith, that is incredible. Number three It's Keith's desire just to do it. Didn't have to be perfect. It didn't have to all be ready. It just had to happen. And I love the fact he's been doing this for two years without a website. He's only now just building the website. And for all of you out there who are thinking, oh, no, 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 no. I must get my website up first. I must get this all perfect before I launch. Stop and start now. Doesn't need to be perfect. Just need to do it. If you're waiting for it to be perfect, you'll be waiting for a long, 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 long time. You just need to start. Keith, thank you for sharing your story. If you are ever in Ohio, go check out his restaurant. Check out the tacos. I know I will. The challenge for you who are listening to the podcast, what I want you to do is I want you to go out there and start. It doesn't have to be perfect. Done is better than perfect. Take action. Let's make this happen. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being part of the Rebel Entrepreneur. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new, fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with the rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining the rebellion.